What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael, and I am stoked. We have Joe Hansley on the pod today, and this was just an absurdly fun interview. Kind of talked about his entire career, what sold him on CSU, you know, the differences between playing for Bobo and McIlwain. He told some crazy stories about uh, some teammates, McIlwain leaving the whole process. Really just a, a fun interview. One of the best that I've, I've had. Before I dive into that, though, you know, sure, you're probably hearing how great the mortgage rates are right now. Mike and Virginia Chevalier, they are not just your typical mortgage company. They've got phenomenal rates, but what really makes them different is Mike is a certified financial planner. He looks at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. They're a small, family-owned company, proud CSU supporters and DNVR members. You're always going to feel like a person, not a number. Just whether you're looking at refinancing your current mortgage, buying a new home, Whatever you need, Mike and Virginia will make the process as simple and smooth as possible. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, you're going to get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com, or you can always give my guy Mike a call directly at 970-412-2472. Tell him Justin from DNVR Rams sent you. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, joining me on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage, we have a special guest, Colorado State alumnus, one of my favorite wide receivers of the last, you know, 10, 20 years, Super Joe Hansley. Joe, what have you been up to, man? Uh, a lot going on in my life. Actually, I just recently, um, packed up and moved to St. Petersburg, Florida, right down in Tampa. Um, got here last Monday. So kind of just trying to get settled in, went under contract on a house. So life's kind of happening for me out here. I got lucky and, uh, I got an awesome girlfriend who was willing to move with me and we packed everything up and headed down. Well, congratulations. First of all, um, is that what's that adjustment like? I mean, you're a, you're a Colorado guy through and through. Grew up in Colorado, went to school in Colorado. Now you're yeah. on the other side of the country. It's awesome. The weather's much better. <laughs> it's, I, I'm not dealing with uh, with anything underneath like 70, so it's been good so far. I guess I'll have to hit you up like when it's all swampy or something to see if you still have the same opinion, or like when a hurricane runs through or something like that. Yeah, hit me up, hit me up middle of July, and let's see how I'm feeling then. <laughs> Um, well, obviously, you know, I wanted to, to get you on here to kind of talk about your CSU career and, and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, before we dive into that, I, I'm curious, you, you had a really decorated high school career. You know, what, what sold you on CSU in the first place? Because it wasn't exactly, you know, in a winning place when you were being, you know, recruited in high school. Yeah. Um, I, one, I appreciate the, the acknowledgement. Um, I, you know, as, as much as I did do in high school with, you know, some of the accolades I got, um, I wasn't, I wasn't overly, you know, highly recruited. I had, um, a few offers coming out. It was CSU. Well, I, I first got offered by Northern Colorado. Um, I think I was a sophomore, maybe going into my junior year. Um, and then CSU Wyoming. And I had a, uh, I had an offer from Northwestern, um, that they ended up kind of pulling and transitioning into a gray shirt because some other kids committed. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think Colorado State was somewhere where I loved the town. 
Um, it was an opportunity where I could be around my family and my parents could come watch me play. I got blessed with amazing parents and amazing family and they probably would have made the trip regardless of where I was. Um, but you know, if, if I'm being completely honest, once coach Matt got hired as a coach is, is kind of when I decided like, okay, things might start turning around. Um, I was actually his first home visit. Um, so he came, he came to the house once he kind of got to Colorado and got settled in a little bit. And I, it was an interesting experience. Like I going through the recruiting process with some of the schools that I been getting recruited by um the way that he came in like I immediately could tell he was just a different dude you know like I think a lot of people that were in Fort Collins and a part of CSU athletics in that point in time knew that Jim McElwain was kind of a you know a different cat um good guy you know and and obviously a great football coach but I think he kind of just presented himself and carried himself in a way that was intriguing to me um, and, uh, and it just, it was the best, it was the best option for me at the time. I wasn't, I took a visit to Wyoming and absolutely hated Laramie. I don't know any, <laughs> how anybody can, can live there. Um, it was a fun visit and I obviously appreciated everything that they did and, and the interest they took in me, but just didn't see myself going through college there. Um, and then obviously Northern Colorado, I just had some better options from, um, CSU and Wyoming. So, uh, it, you know, it ended up working out really well and, um, not sure what would have happened or what direction I would have gone if, uh, if Jim McElwain didn't show up, if coach McElwain didn't show up, but, um, the majority of my recruiting process was from Steve Fairchild and, and that crew. And I thought he had some, some really good people on his staff. Um, but ultimately, you know, there was, there was a difference in, in how those two guys carried themselves. There was a difference in, um, you know, not to discredit, you know, Steve and his staff at all, but there, it was just different, you know, there's, there's kind of levels to that game and, one of them grabbed me and one of them didn't. It sounds like Jim himself was very involved in, in your recruiting process. Who were some of the other coaches that were, you know, kind of in your process? I was really tight with Tim Skipper when he was in town. Okay. Yeah. Coach Skip was great. Um, not, he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily part of my recruiting process. I committed pretty early once, once coach Mack got hired, okay. um, I had, I had one, he came to the house with, I think it was Larry Kerr, who was a part of the Steve Fairchild staff. Yeah. Um, who was an awesome guy too, like really fun to be around. I took my visit up to Fort Collins with, uh, um, with Fairchild staff and, you know, had a great time. Um, I really liked his support staff. I loved, uh, you know, the receiver coach and different things like that. But then Matt came in and, um, it was really just, it was, it was him and him and Larry Kerr. And, and I committed pretty much, you know, a couple of days after he got officially hired and after I met him. So, um, after that, I started kind of getting acquainted with, um, with coach Witted, who's will be a friend of mine forever. Like he was such a big influence on my life and, um, just one of the, you know, better, cooler guys I've met. He's, he's been a big role model for me and I've been able to stay in touch with him and, and have been, uh, you know, lucky in that aspect. Alvis is, you know, one of the, one of the coolest dudes I've definitely ever Dude. met. I don't, I don't think yeah. I've ever met anybody say a bad thing about him. Like is over seven years. Like, yeah, he, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, call it a hero, you know, outside of my dad, you know, another another guy that I can think of um, that I would kind of put in that realm would be Coach Witted. I've seen him do so many cool things with with so many cool guys and talk about, you know, carrying yourself to a higher standard and holding yourself, you know, kind of at a higher standard. He uh, he taught me a lot and obviously, um, you know, he, he kind of stood on the table for me. I think I think I did the things that I needed to to get on the field, but I always appreciated him believing in me and, and willing to stand on the table and, 
you know, give me the opportunities that they did. I definitely want to get like into the beginning of your career because, you know, you, you busted out onto the scene with a, you know, 32 yard touchdown against CU, your first career game. You guys win the showdown. Energy's feeling good. But like coming into college, you played DB, you played running back, you returned kicks. Did you get recruited, you know, specifically to play wide receiver? And, and where did you feel more, most comfortable, like kind of in high school? Um, yeah, I mean, in high school, I, I played running back, you know, more or less. They handed the ball to me like 30 times a game. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> played some DB and played some receiver, but the majority of it was getting it, you know, handed to me in the backfield. Um, definitely didn't get recruited by anybody as a, as a running back. Nobody saw me transitioning to like, uh, Hey man, we're going to hand it to you 15, 20 times a game. Um, I was small when I came out, I think I was, you know, I was, I was five, 10, 170 pounds on a good day, you know, on a big practice. <laughs> um, so I definitely got recruited as kind of like a utility slot guy. Um, you know, obviously punt return was always kind of in the mix there. Um, but the, I, I thought the transition went smooth. I, uh, I got really lucky. My, um, my quarterback and one of my best friends, Steve Donatel in high school, um, still one of my best friends, but his dad, um, is an NFL coach. He, he I was going to say any relation to Ed Donatel. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's Ed's son. Um, and he, he was, he was a DB's coach for a while in the league, um, when I was coming up through high school. And so he kind of, um, you know, took me under his wing, being a good friend with Steve and, um, kind of got my mindset transition to, um, you know, playing receiver and, and, and how you need to think about things in a different sense. So I trained a lot with, you know, we ran routes and, and, and played catch all the time. We'd always be out on the field. So um, once, you know, once the season got over my senior year in high school, we, I was just running routes and catching balls from Steve and his dad kind of helped me in that aspect. So I thought the transition was smooth. I, I still had obviously a ton to learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I always saw myself playing receiver and being a slot guy anyway. So I'll be honest, it was surprising to me when I was kind of like going back and reading up on you in high school that you didn't play more receiver just because, you know, like watching you throughout your college career, the thing that stood out to me was how technically sound you were. Like you were a solid route runner, consistent hands. It just, it seemed like you had that receiver background, but the fact that you were able to to pick it up that quickly is is really impressive and probably probably comes from playing under Alvis a little bit too. Just, I mean, that dude was was such a, a good coach and some of your other teammates like, what was it like playing with guys like Rashard Higgins and, you know, Ola BC Johnson, who are obviously now in the NFL? I, I mean, BC was, was kind of freshman, obviously, up and coming. But. Yeah, he was later. I, uh, funny enough about BC is I hosted him on his visit, so I'll take credit for him coming to CSU. <laughs> uh, but, no, I mean, it was, it was fun playing with Rashard. Like, he was so electric his sophomore year. That, I, would, I don't know what year that was. It was probably 2013, was it? Yeah, when he kind of busted onto the scene. Yeah, I guess the 13 or 14 season. Um, but like, it was it was just fun, you know, like watching what he would do with the ball. We had other guys too, like Capri Bibbs. Like we were we were loaded up, you know. We had a good team, and and it was fun to watch him. I did a lot of uh, a lot of blocking and a lot of going and grabbing the safety so Rashard could run a post over the top. But um, I was happy to do it because we were winning games. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, kudos to those guys, and and really happy to see the success that they've had at the next level. They both of them, you know, work extremely hard. Even, you know, Michael Gallup and Preston Williams and some of these other guys that have come out of there. Um, you know, I know I know what it takes to make it at that level, and uh, it's not easy. So all those dudes work their ass off, and they deserve everything they've got. You know, I don't, I don't want to focus mostly on the negative times because you obviously got to play 
at CSU during, you know, one of the better times during the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But that 2012 season was so weird because you come out, you beat CU, you've got like some good energy. And then you guys just lose like a lot of weird tight games. It was just kind of a kind of a weird season. Garrett got hurt, I think, at one point. Like, yeah. what what kind of wasn't clicking for you guys in 2012 that started to to click for you in 2013? You know, I think I think part of it is getting uh, a coach in the door like Jim McElwain, like Coach McElwain. Um, you know, I don't know what some of those other guys would say about their experience. Well, I've heard I've heard them talk about it, but their experience with the previous coaching staff compared to um, Coach Max staff, and you know, I just I don't think everyone was ready for the day-to-day kind of grind and in, in the structure that he put into the program. So obviously there was a ton of excitement about that first game. If there was one thing Coach Mack was really good at is like we were going to be ready to play. You know, people were going to be excited. Um, you were going to know the game plan. You were going to be able to execute the plays. Like that was a non-negotiable. Otherwise you weren't on the field. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say if anything, I don't think as a whole, like the majority of the team, there was there was some freshmen that played. You know, we had a good number of guys that um, that got on the field that year, but I don't think overall everyone was ready for kind of the shit. We played like 13 games that year, I think. Or, yeah, you, you know, did that year and the next year, I think. Yeah, it was a lot. Like I just, I I remember personally transitioning from high school to to the college schedule and routine. I was, you know, week six, I'm like, holy shit, like this is <laughs> this is a grind and. And we weren't winning, you know, so like we were doing sprints Monday through Wednesday at practice, you know, I, there was conditioning after practice and stuff. Um, so, I, you know, if, if anything, I think a lot of guys got burnt out and um, and just weren't ready for it, weren't prepared for it. Obviously, the next year, um, expectations were a little bit different. Everyone kind of had an idea of what to expect and and what the schedule would be. And, and we, you know, we knew we had some dudes coming up and some ability to win some games. So I think that was kind of the initial transition it was just it was just uncertainty and uncomfort and ultimately I think everyone kind of got um worn down and not everyone was ready for it you know they and and, and just learning a new offense there was a lot that we didn't know the transition from my freshman year to my sophomore year as far as like understanding the offense and and this goes for everyone that played in it it was you know it was night and day it was very watered and dumbed down that first year um and then you start introducing checks and and you know different audibles and different things like that and you're starting to see the field differently and, and, and read everything different. So, um, you know, I think any, any team's going to go through those transitional periods, but I think ultimately, dude, everyone, everyone just kind of got worn out. No one was ready for it. I mean, Mac was a hard ass. Like I was an intern in the coach's office in 2013 and 2014. Like I didn't do anything important. I just, you know, ran around, did errands, like helped out <laughs> a little bit with recruiting type stuff, but just like watching McElwain break down film and stuff, I'd always just be in such awe because he was, it was like clear he just understood football and offense specifically like on a different level. He'd be like pointing out things. I'm like, Oh my God, that like played out exactly how he said it did. He was just, he was an intense dude, but it it was never surprising to me that he had the success he did because he was just so meticulous with everything. Yeah. I, I have so many stories. (laughs) I have so many stories about him being a hard ass or like there, I think there was a perception. I personally, I liked coach Mac. Like I, I did too. Did I think he was the nicest guy in the world? No, but do I think that you can win football games at a high level like that, being the nicest guy in the world all the time? No, you know, everyone knows. Nick Saban out, ain't out there, you know, handing out cupcakes when guys do <laughs> He's jumping people's ass when they when they do something wrong. Like, there, there's, there's a good fine line, in my opinion, between the two, but 
I mean, yeah, I have, I have tons of stories about Coach Mack kind of being a hard ass, but, you know, I have other stories where it's like he was very personable and, you know, kind of came down more to a, to a you know, person-to-person level and, and was able to get guys rallied behind him. So, um, and yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's a football genius. He, he, it's, he learned from some of the best. He's been around some of the best. He understands, um, you know, what schemes are going to beat certain defenses. And, and he was good at calling the right plays. Weirdly enough, he didn't, um, he didn't ever call the plays really. He would, he would holler at, uh, Dave Baldwin, Dave Baldwin. He would holler at coach Baldwin if, if he wanted to get something run, but ultimately he, I remember in one of the meetings, you know, I think there was, I don't know if there was chatter amongst the coaches or chatter amongst the players, but it was a team meeting before practice. I don't know what week it was. And he basically just said like, listen, I'm, I'm not an offensive coordinator anymore. That's not my job of this team. That's not how you run a team. I'm the head coach and I'm going to let, you know, coach Baldwin do his job. Um, so I don't know where that came from, but I imagine some people were kind of getting, um, you know, feeling some type of way here or there about some of the plays getting called. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he was, he was willing to, you know, to, to run the program the way he wanted and the way that he thought he thought was best. He, he had no problem telling people like, that's not how we're doing it. I know I'm kind of jumping around here from a timeline perspective, but what was, what was like the biggest difference between him and, and Mike Bobo and, and how they operated? Um, you know, I think they were completely different people. Um, you know, I, I only played for coach Bobo one year. Um, but then I got a, I was his quality. I was a quality control coach for him after yeah. I um, got released in Oakland. So I got to be around him a much more and like, you know, much more friendship kind of personal level at that standpoint. Um, and I think, I think their coaching styles, like they, they would obviously their offenses were slightly different, similar in pro style, um, you know, different, different play calls or whatever you want to call it, you know, however they named the plays were different, but a lot of the same, um, schematically, a lot of the same, you know, concepts like, Hey, we're trying to grab the safety here to open up like a Richard Higgins yeah. on the post, like, you know, basic, pretty, you know, football surface level football concepts. But, um, I thought, I thought coach Bobo was much more willing to, um, come eye to eye with somebody on a personal level. And like, he wanted, he wanted you to, it was, it was very much so like, Hey man, I, I care about you, you know, as a person, not that coach Mac wasn't that way, but I think that he just kept that more to himself. And it was much more like winning ball games, winning ball games. The way, the way that they prepared each week, um, when I was playing was different. Like coach Bobo really wanted to get you like fired up and excited to play. You know, we'd have like hype videos before the game and we'd, it was like, Hey, let's get excited to go whoop somebody's ass. Like, let, you know, let's go do this together. All that stuff. Coach McElwain, it was much more like, this is a business trip, you know, like there yeah. is, there's no room for anybody like stepping out of line. Like you're going to show up, you're going to be ready to go. You know, you're wearing suits, it, you know, it's, it's meetings are very structured at the hotel. Like if you're late to this or late to that, like you're probably not playing, you know, coach Bobo was like, you know, Mike, if you're late, you know, Mike was late or if, if Richard was late, something like that. It's like, Hey, you're still playing. You're our best player. You know, like, we're still- <laughs> um not to say that 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 ever happened but that was kind of like you know the idea is I think everyone was terrified to to screw up with coach Mack like nobody wanted to make a mistake nobody wanted to run the wrong route nobody wanted to um you know make the wrong block or or miss an assignment um and I think that's why we were successful with coach Mack is because we had everyone knew their job you know it was a very here's your job execute your job 
don't be selfish, play within the offense, that type of thing. Coach Bobo, not to say that he didn't talk about those principles, because I think both of them were awesome coaches, but I just think his focus was more towards coming into game day, was like, yo, let's cut it loose. You know, let's go out there, let's have a party, let's have fun, let's go beat somebody's ass. So, um, you know, very different. The feel, uh, you know, in that hotel the night before a game was very different, but um, both of them, like I learned a lot of, a lot from both of them of, of holding yourself to a high standard and making sure that your mindset's in the right place. And, and, you know, it's, it's professional. It's, it's, it's a business trip. I, I guess that was just, you know, some of the differences I saw. I mean, that kind of matches a lot of what I've been told. Like I've asked other players, like what kind of changed in 2015? And, you know, they, they're just like, you know, I think we were maybe feeling ourselves a little bit too much after 2014, the, the attention to detail just wasn't quite what it was, you know, in those previous seasons. And, I mean, yeah, like, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, you got you lost that game to Minnesota in overtime. You lose a weird game to see you in overtime. Again, not trying to dwell, but it's just, like, <laughs> those those little details, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even all the way down to, like, Coach Mack, didn't, no one was wearing anything different. You know, everyone looked the yeah. same. No one had a visor on. There's no sweatbands. Coach Bobo came in. I'm like, I'm about to swag out. I'm getting a visor. <laughs> I'm going to wear shit all over my legs. I can wear different colored socks, like some sweatbands, you know? So, um, there was, you know, there was a little more, uh, carefree side, uh, to, to coach Bobo. And I'm not to, not to say one's more successful than the other. Um, I think they, they, they've obviously both been unbelievably successful in their careers. Um, but it's just, you know, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. There's multiple different ways to win. And, um, I think, you know, our group as, as, as the, the, the young men that we had on the team throughout the years, um, we had success on both sides of the, of the stick with them. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I long defended Bobo. I know CSU fans, I think got a little frustrated by the end just because yeah. it kind of, kind of lack of success, up, but he's a great coach. Coach yeah. Bobo is a great coach. And, um, he's a, he's a better person in all honesty. Like he is a, he cares about his players. He, he cares about, um, he cares about you on a personal level outside of just wanting to see you succeed in football. Don't get me wrong. Like he'll jump somebody's shit. And you know, like both coaches are going to, that I've been around are going to say like mean things, you know, That's if, football though. Like yeah, if you're not, if you're not willing to work through that stuff, you probably shouldn't be on the field. And honestly you're or on the team and you're not going to be successful in, in football in general, if, if you're not willing to, you know, it's not personal, right. They're just, they're just yeah. trying to get on. All right, back to the pod in just a second, but first, it's time to hear from one of our partners, DraftKings Sportsbook. It's playoff time, big stakes, even bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under. That's right, for every 1,500 players who bet on the over in the selected game, the over-under will drop by one point. That means with every better that hammers the over in the feature game, it helps lowering it, therefore making it easier to hit. If you're not into basketball, that's cool. DraftKings has offers on hockey, baseball, UFC, you name it, they have it. Most importantly, they're safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR when you sign up to hammer the over and get your shot at doubling your money on the featured game. The line's going to decrease by one point with every 1,500 betters, so it's a chance to improve the odds of hitting. Tell your friends, tell your family, this is a team effort. We're going to hammer the over together, and we're all going to make a little bit of money. Again, 
Use that promo code DNVR for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Restrictions to apply. Maximum $25 wager, one per customer. Offer ends 523-21. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Speaking of DraftKings, it seems like a perfect time to give you guys my DraftKings pick of the week. Nuggets taking on the Blazers in the first round. I just, I feel good about Denver's chances in this series. I, I think it's a mashup that they're going to do well. Jokic historically plays really well against the Blazers. Going to eat Nurkic up. You can get the Nuggets to win this series at minus 117. I think that's solid odds given the circumstances. Obviously, you're always worried about Damian Lillard. But I like how the Nuggets, I like how they've been playing down the stretch. I feel really good about it. Jokic, the MVP, is going to carry us home. My DraftKings pick of the week, the Nuggets to win the opening round series against the Blazers at minus 117 odds. All right, let's get back to that interview with Joe. You know, I promise I'm, I'm not trying to bring up all the all the tough moments, but the, I, I go back to that 2014 Air Force game so many times because it just, all game, like, it, it, you guys were playing well. Higgins had a monster game. He had, like, 200 receiving yards. This was in, summary, in Colorado Springs, right? Yeah, yeah, the... We lost by a field goal or something. Yep. You guys yeah. went for it on fourth down, like right around midfield. And it was like fourth and five. And it was kind of controversial because he had the momentum. And I was like, just punt, play for OT. But after that is kind of when everything started to to come out about, you know, Jim being in, in the running for the Florida job. That was obviously like a very public process. Probably yeah. not how he wanted it to be handled, but it is what it is with the bigger schools. What was that like for you as a player, though, to like go through that and hear the rumors and and you know hear it on the radio or TV or whatever? Like, oh, McElwain is leaving, and it's like we had practice today. Yeah, yeah, it it was tough, man. I'm not gonna lie, it was tough. Like, I kind of get chills thinking about it because um, so many different emotions like came around at that time. Yeah, uh, you know, I I remember when everything went down. I don't know if I saw a news ticker or what it was, but I heard about it when I wasn't in the facility. Some of us us went into the facility, we go into the facility and the whole, you know, outside of of the whole facility, the whole practice facility, there's just news everywhere. You know, there's like four or five trucks, cameras everywhere. And I'm like, all right, like it's going down, you know, like some, you know, it's obviously happening. Um, So, you know, it was, uh, I don't want to say it was disappointing. You know, I don't, I don't blame coach Mack for taking the opportunity, you know, I I mean, it it makes all the sense in the world. It's it's the University of Florida. I, I wish uh, I, I wish CSU from a, um, an athletic director standpoint would have done some things differently. I think they could have done some things to try to keep him there contractually. I heard some things that they probably could have done differently that would have, you know, mitigated some of the risk of him being able to basically just be like, yo, I'm gone. Like I got a better opportunity. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, and, and this is why I hate about the NCAA is, is football is like, it's a selfish sport. You know, there's, it's, it's about, it's, it's about, it's so, it's, it's, it's ironic because on the team, you're so much about like the team and it takes 11 guys. It takes 22 guys to go win a football game. It takes everyone. We're in this together. We're in this together. We're in this together. But at the same time, coaches are as selfish as they come when it comes to opportunity. Players are as selfish as they come when they come to opportunity. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, I'll give up my starting job because I think homeboy's a better player than me. You know, like it's, it's, so it's, it's ironic. I mean, Coaches, I, I think a lot, you know, I think it should come down to how the contract is structured and what you're willing to agree to. Um, but at the end of the day, coaches are allowed to get up and bail when they want. So I think 
I think the game's transitioning to allowing players to do that, but I don't necessarily think that's the best thing. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, do you think it's going to be hard to build a program up with so much movement now? Like, you know, we see it every year, every team has like 15 to 20 dudes in the portal at any given time. Yeah. I think, I think it's just to change the dynamic on teams. I think you're going to see a lot more of, Hey, I, I went to CSU. I had a big year. Now Clemson wants me. I'm going to go become a first, second round draft pick at Clemson yeah. you know, because that's go look at the first round. It's, you know, it's littered with guys from the ACC and some of these bigger or the SEC, ACC, big 10, whatever it is, some of these bigger schools. Um, and, and it's very, you know, far in between that you see a lower level guy, even like Richard, I think Richard's been underutilized in the NFL, you know, like he, he has, he has produced at a very high level when he's gotten the opportunity in the NFL, but he it's just politics, you know, man. It's draft he politics. Broke, he broke records in, in the mountain West and, uh, you know, got, what did he get drafted in the fifth round? I think it was. Yeah. The late end of the fifth round, like almost yeah, the sixth. So, you know, if he would have if he would have done anything remotely close to that at CU, it's a different story, right? He's going in the top three rounds. So, I mean, it is politics. That's how I think. I think a lot I, a lot of these NFL analysts they're not good at what they do. Um, a lot of a lot of you know high school recruiting is is watered out. They're they're always looking for there's there it's a it's a lot to sample, right? You have a lot of kids you have to look at, so they try to narrow it down in the easiest way possible, which is by finding who's 6'2", 185 pounds in high school and runs a 4-4. You know, I'm going to go look at that kid. And then, you you know, you trickle down from there. So, I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's a lot of really, really good coaches and recruiters out there who go and find the guys like Richard Higgins, like Alvis Witted, um, and, and see something bigger in him and, you know, realize that they'll be able to get him to produce and transition from high school to college and then, you know, college to the NFL. So, I don't think it's a direct science or an exact science. I think a lot of people are, um, a lot of people go about it their own ways. You know, I sat in recruiting meetings with, um, with the Bobo staff when I was coaching and, and I, you know, I watched kids where I was like, okay, hey, I think that kid's pretty good. And they're half the rooms like now, nah, like him, the other half the rooms like, ah, you know, he's pretty good. Or I stand on the table for this kid, vice versa. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not exact science. Everyone likes to recruit different States. You know, I know, I know Coach Bobo recruited a lot of Georgia because, one, he knew the schools. He knew the high schools. He knew the coaches. But he knew that overall it was very competitive football in general, yeah. right? Player X playing against player Y, both of them were going to be good players. You know, it's kind of like Texas. It's kind of like Florida. The, the culture in general, I think Colorado struggles um, really, really bad in recruiting because Chassa puts a – you know, puts this, this cap on everyone as far as how much they're going to let players get out on the field. Um, you know, general, general guidelines around how the cities are structured and how the schooling districts are structured and all that plays a ton into recruiting. And, um, you know, I, I totally see why some, some coaches decide to go with the, the kid who's pretty good from Texas that's playing against better, better competition than, um, the kid who's really good in Colorado playing against less competition. But at the same time, I've seen it over and over again where the kid from Colorado is way better than that kid from Texas and it shows it shows at the next level. So it's just at the end of the day, it's not an exact science. And uh, and that's what makes people different. And that's what um, gives coaches differentiators and the ability to develop players once you get a kid and, and you know, kind of, kind of run your program the way you want. So it's just it's always going to be it's always going to be kind of up in the air as far as what's working and, and for who it's working for. How much pride did you take 
and being a Colorado kid playing, you know, for a state university and, and, you know, playing a part in, in the revitalization of a program that was once proud, like, did that matter to you that you were an in-state kid? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, um, you know, how can it not, right? Like, I'm not going to lie. I had a little animosity that I didn't get a, an offer from CU. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I even, I went to a camp at CU. I, you know, performed very well. I think there was, not to say that I would have chose CU over CSU. I, you know, I didn't really necessarily like one more than the other, but um, I think, I think it kind of keeps a chip on your shoulder in that sense. I think, um, you know, anyone from, if, if you have any sort of pride for your state in general, like I, that's, that's just who I am. Right. I, I'm yeah. going to, you know, I'm going to be proud of, of what I'm putting on film of what I'm doing, even in my day-to-day life right now. You know, I'm not just somebody who's going to kind of, you know, walk through the world and not care about, you know, what I'm doing. I have, I have big aspirations. You know, I, I, I want to be successful. I have all these goals that I want to accomplish. And it was no different when I was back in, in high school and in, in SCSU, you feel like you have something to prove, especially being, an in-state kid that might have beat out some kids from Texas or Florida or some of these better states that were 100% a higher-rated recruit when they got out of high school coming in and stuff. So um, I think, yeah, I, I, me personally, absolutely, and I think a lot of the other guys in Colorado would say the same. What was a sweeter touchdown for you, the 32-yard catch against CU or the punt return? Punt return. That play was sick, man. I know you guys. I think I think you guys lost that game, unfortunately. But yeah, we did lose. We did lose. I ended up getting hurt later in that game. Um, but yeah, no, I think I, I think it was that game. Might have been might have been third Rocky Mountain showdown. But yeah, no, definitely the uh, definitely the punt return. Just because it was kind of um, in that situation, I thought it was I thought it was uh, bigger for me at least. It was I guess it was more enjoyable. I thought it was a cooler play. Um, weirdly enough, I wasn't even supposed to play my freshman year against CU. I had, <laughs> I had gotten in trouble in the dorms. We were doing stupid shit a couple weeks before the game. Um, got in trouble in the dorms and Jim McElwain being the guy that he is like, I was, I was rotating in with the ones and twos through training camp. And then, um, I got in trouble and I didn't get bumped down, but now it was like, I was kind of getting taken out of the game plan and dude, I'm not lying. It wasn't until like, um, it was maybe three days before the Friday walkthrough. So this was like Monday, Tuesday of game week. Um, they just started putting in plays for me. Like we're installing, <laughs> we're installing the, uh, um, the, the, the playbook and everything for that week. And, and all of a sudden I have like a unique package for me. Like there's all these things where I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to play. I'm definitely going to get the ball. So I kind of had to quickly transition my mind. Not that I wasn't ready for it. Like I, you know, I always felt like I prepared myself really well, but um, there was definitely the week before the game, I was, uh, I was, you know, a little more down on myself and sad that I had, you know, made a mistake and, um, and may have not have had the opportunity to play, but I was appreciative that I know Coach Witted stood on the table for me. I know Dave Baldwin stood on the table for me and ultimately Coach McElwain um, let me play and gave me an opportunity. So how eye-opening was that? Like, going from being, you know, the, the superstar of Highlands Ranch, one of the best players on your team, you show up, you know, now you're at a D1 school, everybody's really good. You're still getting attention, but it's like a situation where you have one little mistake or, you know, I don't, I don't know what exactly happened, but, you know, you get in trouble and then all of a sudden it's like, oh God, like I, I might not even be playing now because of this one instance. Whereas like in high school, you know, if you're, you're the best player on the team, like they're playing like, ah, you know, don't do it again, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You know, I guess that's hard to answer. Cause I don't know what like external expectations were for me 
from people knowing knowing my name in Colorado. You know, I didn't know yeah. if people thought I was going to play, if people thought I was going to play. Um, I can say that it kind of changed things for me forever. You know, like um, all of a sudden I got a bunch of new friends that I didn't know about that were hitting me up saying, hey, that was sick, you know, like yeah. congratulations and stuff, which I don't think there's anybody who's going to complain about getting a little love. But um yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was cool. And I think if anything, it gave me confidence that I could play, um, you know, at a high level and, um, and, and really kind of, you know, gave me a good, a good, you know, ramp way and, and starting point to my college career. One of the things that always stood out to me about that 2013 season is the game at number one, Alabama. Like, I, I know they won like 31 to six, but it was a much closer game than the score indicated. That's what I'm guys- always happy to explain. I'm it like, was, it was a have, great game. Close, yeah, yeah. Did that kind of change your guys' mindset of like, no, like we can play with these dudes. We're cl- like, we're we're a good team. Yeah, I think if you look back to that team, like we had a lot of good players. Rashard was on that team. Capri was on that team. Garrett was on that team. Weston Richburg was on that team. Crockett, Crockett Gilmore yeah. was on that team. Like we had a lot of dudes that went on to play in the NFL. Um, and so I think in general, like it showed to a lot of us that we could compete. Um, but you know, ultimately, like, I still feel like in the, in the locker room as a whole, that that team was never like, Hey, we can actually go and win. I know nobody in the world thought we could, but like, you know, the team that you want to be on is where it's like, yo, who gives a shit, whatever, whatever, what what anybody else thinks, like, let's go out and win. You know, like I know there was a guys on that team who truly truly felt that way like let's go shock the world let's go be Appalachian State to Michigan right like that type of feel um and it wasn't it wasn't all encompassing in the locker room I think that's really hard to get into a locker room um like it's very rare to have a locker room where everyone's truly bought in that way especially in college because you have like in the NFL I think it's always like that but in in college you have guys whether you're a walk-on or whether you like I know so many dudes you know, I'm obviously not going to drop any names that didn't care about playing. They wanted the scholarship. They wanted the Jersey. They wanted to be on the team, but they, they had no plans of ever really playing. Right. They're like, I don't care That's if so I play. Weird. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's contagious though. That, that stuff, you get those guys in the locker room and they're sitting in the back during pregame and they don't care. And it's, it's different than when everyone's bought in and like next year, the following year, I thought everyone got to that point where they were like, you know, like this, it wasn't Alabama we were playing, but it was like, okay, let's go beat Utah State. You know, we can actually yeah. beat Utah State. Everyone was bought in. Um, so, yeah, I would say Alabama was – was it was the beginning of that transition. But, I mean, dude, that was just a cool experience, you know, like being able to experience big-time college football like that um, was is obviously something I'll remember forever. I mean, that 2013 season, I think it gets lost a little bit if for people that didn't pay attention closely because you just pull up the, the record and it's like seven and six. And it's like – all right, well, that wasn't that great of a season, but there were some weird losses early, but you guys, like, you curb-stomped Wyoming, kicked the living crap out of Air Force, like, got really hot going in. You know, yeah. what What kind of stands out the most about that regular season? And then, obviously, I got to ask you about the New Mexico Bowl, which is probably the, the craziest college football game I've ever watched. Yeah, yeah. We had, I mean, we had Shaq Barrett on that team, too. We, we were loaded with talent, you know? Like, um, but I think that year was, it was the beginning of like transitioning to, we, we had some success where we saw like, okay, we know we got a good coaching staff. We know we have a lot of really good players. Now that we know the scheme and can implement the scheme at a high level, 
Like, there's a lot of games that we knew we could go out and win. Um, and, and I think everyone just got confident, man. We started getting hot and um, everyone started playing more carefree. Like, I, I'm a big believer in, in, in like, mindset and in, in your, your mind's ability to kind of, like, control your physical yeah. action. And I think everyone got to the point where they kind of let loose and um, we could go out and be who we were and play football and not have to worry so much about, oh, my gosh, what am I doing on this play? Like, I don't want to screw up. So I think it was just that that transition period of getting a year of spring ball in so everybody knew the offense, a normal training camp with without a new coach. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we we had a lot of really good players that year and a lot of guys who started to, to have some success and, and it kept, you know, trend, it kept rolling into, into the following year. DNVR has partnered with a premium dispensary for you to get smoking hot deals with Solace Meds has four convenient Colorado locations, one in Fort Collins, which is perfect for all my CSU fam, one in Wheat Ridge, one off of Broadway, and one just blocks away on East Colfax from the DNVR bar the entire month of May, they have got some absolutely banging deals. First of all, you can use the code DNVR20 at t- checkout for 20% off your entire order. But they've got deals on concentrates, on gummies, edibles, you name it. They've got a special going on this month. Remember, you can get all of these amazing deals and you can take advantage with an additional 20% off when you use the code DNVR20 at checkout. You can order online, pick it up conveniently. Solace Meds, so convenient, so clutch. Make sure you check them out and use that code DNVR20 for 20% off your order. I also want to shout out Illegal Pete's. That's right, Illegal Pete's is back. We're so pumped to have them on board again. As you guys know, the pandemic shut down a lot of restaurants. Illegal Pete's was one of them. They've been back in action for a while now. We could not be happier to promote them. They have a sound check promotion going on, which is an ongoing promotion at all locations. It offers a free draft beer or house mark with the purchase of an adult entree when the guest shows a same-day ticket to any event. You know, if, if you go to a CSU game, bring your ticket, show it, you can get a free drink with your entree. You go to a Rockies game, you go to an Avs game, a Nuggets game, a, a Broncos game this fall. It is clutch. Lodo reopened in a new location with a bigger uh, indoor and outdoor space. We're now on the corner of Wazi and 16th. Super close to Ball Arena close to Coors Field as well. Really, really convenient. All locations serve breakfast until 1 p.m. Friday through Sunday. Um, the, the Lodo location serves breakfast all day. So if you're a breakfast burrito lover like myself, you got a little bit of afternoon craving, head over to Illegal Pete's. They've got happy hour at all locations from 3 to 6 p.m. $1 off all drafts, $1 off house and coin style margs, $20 party margs, $1 off large chips and queso. The deals are endless. Make sure you hit up Illegal Pete's. You know, I think everybody that, that played at CSU has some animosity towards CU, especially the local guys. But out of the Mountain West rivals, like, what stand, stands out the most to you? Was it playing Wyoming? You know, when I talked to Jake Bennett, he's like, I actually hated Air Force more than anybody. And that cracked me up. He's like, they're, they're just a bunch of assholes. I hated playing against them. Um, you know, like Boise State, who, who, who was up there for you? What did you get most amped to play? Um, I mean, probably Wyoming. There was just, there's so much history behind that game with the boot and, um, you know, like Air Force, I kind of look at Air Force, like, you know, whatever it's, you know, it's Air Force. I, I, honest to God, like I'm a small guy, right? When yeah. the first time we went out and I saw Air Force, like I was giggling, you know, there, 
nothing against those guys. They're all they're all great athletes, and they do a ton of really really cool things for the country. Like totally. as a, all the respect. tough school to go to, all the respect in the world. But I remember just being like, dude, their left tackle is the size of our you know outside linebacker. You know, yeah. like it was just I was kind of like taken back. So I think my perception of Air Force was, and we would you know whenever we played them at home, we beat them by forty points. So. I think my, my early perception was just like, you know, it's whatever, it's Air Force. But um, Wyoming, like the week leading up, every day there was like a speaker that would come in or every day we had some sort of video or story about the history of the game and kind of what it means to each school and what it means to, to kind of hold the bronze boot. So um, I think there was just more – there was more lead up and build up to, to the Wyoming game for me than, than Air Force. But see, you was my – he was my favorite. Like that was the game for me. That was yeah. the one where I'm playing in front of everyone that I know. Right. Like these are my hometown fans. I know a bunch of people who go to see you that I've done friends with. Like there was there, that game always held more weight for me. That makes sense. I'm, I'm a Wyoming guy personally, just like having grown up during like, I was a big Bradley Van Pelt fan growing up. And so I was like CSU <laughs> Wyoming. Games. What a legend. He was a legend. I know. Like I, I wish I could have gone to college in the early 2000s just to experience like the craziness of it all. Like I got to imagine Hughes parking lots in the early 2000s were just insane. Oh yeah. They were probably electric. I actually, uh, I don't know if you know who Justin Holland is. I used to work oh, with yeah. him in Colorado. I had a Bear Creek high school, baby. Oh, another legend. Yeah. Another legend. Um, but he, he was a freshman or something when Brad was a junior senior or something like yeah. that. So he told me stories about Van Pelt. Um, that just build to the legacy and just make me like him even more. All of them off the field. Nothing was on the field, but just oh, like, totally. seemed like a great time. Great guy. To be. <laughs> <laughs> who like, and obviously I, I know, I know you got to be careful with what you say, but like, who's the craziest teammate you had? Like who, who was going out and like tearing up the town? Craziest? Um... I mean, honestly, my roommate for four years, Nick Januska, I know he's not, he wasn't the biggest, (laughs) but my God, did we have a good time together? He, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, like, I, I think college is college, right? Regardless if you play football or if you're in a fad or if you're just going to school or whatever it is, like is a young man or woman and just gets out of mom and dad's house and you have a lot of freedom and you're like, okay, I'm going to go experience myself, um, you know, regardless of of what I got the next day, you know, and, um, not to say I'm proud of that by any means. I don't think it added to my, uh, to my football experience by any means, but, um, no regrets. And I think, uh, you know, I think everyone has a good time in their own way and, and finds a way to have fun in college regardless. Where was like your go-to, you know, what was your favorite bar, like place to eat, hang out? Uh, once I turned 21, I was in, I was in old town square. I was hitting, uh lucky joe's i was hitting the rio for margs um rec room that disgusting basement bar down there <laughs> um, bondi became really popping later in um my my junior and senior year but yeah i mean just old town square dude that's the that's the spot to be at i'd hit the euro late night the euro and uh brat stand there on the corner and i think that's one of the best things about fort collins is their downtown um, you know, old town feel is just, is such a cool spot, especially when you turn 21 and can actually go experience it. Um, I mean, it really, it really kind of brought my, my college experience full circle. Did people like recognize you when you went out? Like I know Lucky Joe's obviously is different because of Kevin and, and they've got the whole CSU football connection there, but yeah. like when you would be out in town with people like, Oh my God, that's Joe Hansley. 
here and there, here and there. I mean, I was, you know, when I would go out with Richard, like, yeah, people yeah. were coming up and saying what's up and stuff. But, um, you know, I mean, you know, it was, it was random. I, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy that everyone was coming up to and, and, uh, and just trying to chop it up with. There was a lot of cool people who would, um, who would come and say hello, which was always cool, you know, or, um, Hey, can I buy you a shot or this and that different things like that, which is cool. Right. It's, it, uh, it's never a bad thing to kind of be in that position, but, um, overall, I think it was, it was really more if I was with some other football guys that were notable, um, than I would, but you know, like guys like Richard wasn't really going out to the bar that much. And, um, but yeah, like if I was out with Garrett and like Tikoff and some of those guys, yeah, it was, it was fun to kind of meet people and chop it up a little bit. Would you have even wanted that much attention? Like there's, there's kind of some bliss and having some anonymity, just being able to like go out and enjoy a night with your friends. I think it depends on what kind of night you're trying to have. <laughs> you, know, <Good> like, <laughs> you know, if, if I was out at two o'clock in the morning, probably don't want anybody to recognize me. Right. But yeah, uh, we we're just going out and having dinner. I think, uh, you know, it makes you feel good if somebody kind of comes up and congratulates you on a win or, Hey, that was a cool play, anything like that. But the other weird thing was a lot of dudes would come up and like, would kind of try me a little bit, you know, like they throw yeah. some shade or they'd say something like this or that. And so, um, those were, I, I was fortunate enough to never like, um, take them the wrong way. It was kind of something you brush off, but I think it goes both ways. I, I think people get some shade thrown at them every once in a while, but for the most part, I think everyone keeps it pretty cordial. That's good. I mean, everybody has those experiences once in a while on the bar where you encounter some like douchebag guy who's just like <laughs> trying to start beef with everybody for no apparent reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you just stay clear of those guys and you kind of just blow them off. Right. You know, I know you don't have uh, too much time here, so I'll, I'll, you know, wrap it up. But the the New Mexico Bowl in 2013, like, first of all, I got to ask, was Halliday as big of a douchebag as he came off on screen, the Washington State quarterback? Because that dude was yapping all game. Absolutely. If he ever listens to this, somebody should send it to him. He was the biggest tool I've ever met on, on a field. And I didn't even talk to him. I just saw all the stuff he was doing, right? Like, he's that kid. Like, they're there's a certain respect between players where it's like, okay, if we're talking back and forth and we're jawing, like it's part of the game, right? Like, you know, take it personal. If you decide to take it personal, that's probably on you. He was like looking at the sideline and like giving gestures to coaches, you know, like he really got in trouble for (laughs) interacting. I know it ruined his career, you know, like, I know he shouldn't have said it, but like that got so blown out of proportion. Like uh, it, it felt really good to win that game after kind of the way, the way that the game transpired and having, um, you know, having that little, that little piece of that quarterback just kind of, kind of being like that. Don't get me wrong. Like he was a good player, you know, he was, he could play, he could play, he could throw, he could, you know, he was scoring touchdowns and everything, but, um, I wouldn't say there was anyone on that field, whether it was on our team or their team that like truly had respect for that kid, you know, like that's just, that's, if, if you're really doing it, that's, that's not how people act, you know, that's not how the dudes who are really doing it act. And I don't know how his, uh, how his career, you know, kind of transpired after that. But um, if I were to guess, I wouldn't say that he was a, a team favorite. Why well, just compare him to like, you know, Garrett Grayson in, in the end of 2013 or 2014. And Garrett in 2014 played as good as any pro-style, like, passing quarterback that I can remember the last 15 years. Like, he was so efficient. He executed that offense perfectly. He wasn't out there, like, throwing suckets at the other team's coach or, like, you know, John. Like, he just did his thing and went up and lit you up every week. 
Yeah, that Garrett Garrett's that kind of guy though. Like he holds himself to a higher standard. You know, like he doesn't want to be out there looking like a goofball. You know, yeah. like that kid was just goofy. You know, like nobody nobody likes that kind of thing. So um, yeah, no, I I couldn't say anything better about Garrett Grayson. Like he is he is a stud. You know, I still touch base with him every once in a while now and. Um, I was grateful and lucky to have him as a quarterback. I wish he would have thrown me the ball a little bit more, but I get it. Richard, <laughs> he was usually open and, uh, and we were trying to win ball games. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was fun playing with Garrett and, and you're exactly right. Like he, he, I think, I think Garrett had a period where he was like, okay, I'm definitely going to have an opportunity in the NFL and it starts now. I need to start carrying myself like, like I would if I was in the NFL, not that he was, you know, any other way, you know, before yeah. then. I mean, he's just a stud, right? Everyone knows that, Garrett. On and off the field, the dude's a stud. He carries himself to a high standard and um, just a really good dude all around. You know, I know Capri and, and McElwain had kind of an icy relationship, and we don't have to get into any of that. But not people that are in the know know they did not get along. But yeah, do you think – do you guys run the table if he comes back in 2014 with what you guys did offensively? I mean, it – D Hart came in and obviously did a great job and, and J.O. had a good season as well. But like, I just keep, it's hard for me not to think like if you put Capri on that offense, how does anybody yeah. stop you? Capri was fun to watch. He was fun to watch. And, um, another dude who like, I don't have anything bad to say about Capri, you know, like he was passionate about football. He wanted to win football games. He was a good teammate. Yeah. Um, I, I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of what went, what went down between him and, uh, him and coach Mack. But I think if we had him in D Hart, it would have been a scary two headed monster. I mean, you know, Treyus Jarrell's so, so is, is what we called him. He was nice too, though. You know, he could, he could, he could, he run produced in his limited role. He like nice. He was nice. Um, we had a lot of talent on that team, but yeah, I mean, Capri was a special talent. Like I remember he scored six touchdowns against New Mexico. He, you know, the, the air force game, he went off for like 300 something yard, whatever it was. He was, him, Rashard Higgins, like those were guys where when I'd be on the field, I was like, okay, that was cool. You know, like that was, yeah. that was part of. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, Capri's a good guy too. I talking about off the field stuff, not, this is nothing wrong. I don't know if, um, if you heard about this, my, I just got to get this story because it's hilarious. Um, and I think your listeners would appreciate it. This was my freshman year. There was like a massive block party. Okay. The cop, like SWAT team showed up, they're throwing tear gas and stuff. Like, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like this was, it was a big deal in Fort Collins. Um, I'm a freshman. I'm with all, I'm with Januska. I'm with all my boys. We hear about this big block party going down and we go over and it's just, it's, you know, packed. Like houses are opened up, 10, 12 houses, whole blocks opened up, people going in and out. And basically the whole team's there. I didn't know anybody who wasn't there. Capri drove his car into the middle of this party. I don't know if he was playing music I don't know if, if, if the, the, the mob, I'll call it, just ended up swarming around it. People start getting on top of Capri's car. Eventually, like, all the football players were on top of Capri's car. The whole hood of the car, like, the top, the roof, not, not the hood, the roof of the car, there's six, seven, eight people on top of it, and it just caves in. Oh, my His God. car was totaled. Yeah, totaled the car. The next morning, we go into weights. Um, we get into weights. I don't know if we had multiple sessions at that point in time, but like the majority of the skilled position players were in this weights class at this time. And on the front page of the paper, it was a picture of like seven dudes on the football team on the hood of Capri's car. It might not have been the front page, but there was, it was a newspaper and our strength, strength coach, Mike Kent 
takes out that piece of paper and puts it up on the board and circles everybody's face who he could recognize. (laughs) Of course, everyone has a red solo cup and like we're on top of this car and there's just a mob of people. And I thought one of the coolest things that um, Mike Kent was one of the better dudes I've ever met in my life. Like he basically said, you know, he kept it under, under wraps. Like we know this is you guys, yada, yada, yada. We know you guys shouldn't have been there, but um, like, you know, let's make sure that this doesn't happen again. Like, make sure you're smarter than this. But I mean, it was just hilarious, dude. I felt bad for Capri that that happened, but, um, just, that was, that was probably the craziest story I have outside of football that involved the football team too. And, um, the way they kind of went about it on the team was just hilarious. Just circling everyone's face on there. It was funny. That's insane. And I'm glad you brought up Mike Kent. Cause he was a dude. I loved Mike Kent to death when he was in town he'd like let me lift in the team weights room and stuff and give me protein shakes and advice and all this. I was a scrawny dude. He's like, Oh, we'll get you up in no time. And I was like, I do the same, same things to me. No, no worries. Yeah. Um, I, again, I know you got to go, but I, I just want to briefly kind of talk about that 2014 season. Cause there were just so many great moments. I mean, Utah state, the homecoming game, you know, winning against Wyoming, like what stood out the most, you know, what do you remember most when you look back on, on that run? Um, I, I would say those two games that you just mentioned from like an emotional state and like feeling a different way, definitely Utah state. I think we beat Utah state. And then the next week was Wyoming. Yeah. I'm I'm right. Um, so obviously there was a lot of buildup to that Utah state game. And like I mentioned in the locker room, everyone like believed that we could beat them. Um, there wasn't really anybody who was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know about whatever, as far as their body language could tell, right? Like everyone was really bought in. Um, when Jared Roberts, I was the holder for that field goal. So when Jared Roberts, like, I remember telling him, I was like, dude, just be a badass. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is what we work for, yada, yada, yada. And, and Jared was a stud. You know, he was such a good kicker. Um, and, and he banged it through the uprights. And that was one moment where I just, like, as far as an environment in Hughes Stadium, it was the best. You know, it was the absolute best. People start rushing the field. Everyone's going crazy. Um, and that's when it was like, okay, this is what college football is all about. You know, this is, this is the feelings and emotions that you should feel when you win a big game like that. Um, and then the next week, like it was a different feel for Wyoming. People are lining up outside of Moby to get tickets for the game. You know, we're going in and out of the facility and like, people are excited to see you. They're saying what's up. They know who you are, different things like that. So the environment was different. And then I remember that Wyoming game got to standing room only. So that was the most packed I've ever seen Hughes stadium. And again, it was just an electric environment. It was a rivalry game. People were excited about CSU football. The season was going well. We're coming off a big win. And then, um, you know, we came out and got it done. So I think those, those two weeks, those two, three weeks of that, that month in general was, uh, was, you know, just really enjoyable to be a part of the time and, uh, and, and just a cool experience in general tough game but the las vegas bowl uniforms those like white uniforms with the green numbers and orange trim i still think those are the coolest csu football uniforms of all time i love them i agree i agree those were those were sweet but talk about like talk about discipline you know with with that team once coach mac left dave baldwin i i love dave baldwin but he got thrown in such a tough position where and i'm guilty of it now i'm going up to dave like hey can i wear a visor now can i wear a sleeve like can I wear a towel? And, and I wasn't the only one. Everyone was doing it. And in that time, you know, he's trying to win over the team. He obviously doesn't want to be that guy who nobody likes. He's trying to win that head coaching job. And he's just like, yeah, do it, you know? And so 
for one week, we all throw on the visors and we all swag up for this game and we go out and get the absolute shit kicked out of us, you know? And um, Utah State was good, or uh, Utah rather. They were good at a lot of players. They weren't um, that much better than you guys, though. Not not forty five to seven better or whatever it was. No, no, no. We weren't prepared for that game. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's tough being in Las Vegas for a week as a college kid, and you know you have some freedom. You're staying in the Hard Rock. You can kind of you know people know you're there and know you're on the team. Like it's it's a tough environment to keep things together. So um, we we you know uh, ultimately failed at that and and went out and it was reflected in the game. So I just you know, I don't think the team was was in the right mindset. I would have loved to see us play that game coming off of the year we had with Coach McElwain. Um, and it, it, the only not that the the coaching staff didn't get us prepared; it was all on the all on the players, right? It was yeah. our heads weren't in it. Everyone was kind of upset. And I mean, there's just there's a lot of stuff that happened in that game, even on the sideline that I remember about players like talking to Utah fans, saying like, "Let's go have a beer after this," like shit like that. Like it was just like. You know, like this ain't it. This isn't how it should be, and it was unfortunate. But you know, cool experience to be a part of a bigger bowl like that. But um, really tough outcome. How big of a letdown then was it your senior year to get the Arizona Bowl versus Nevada, like a, a conference? I, I to this day, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, weirdly enough, that game uh, kind of lit a fire in me. Um, I was very unsure at that point in time if I even wanted to try to play in the NFL, you know, or even give it a shot and go through, um, you know, the, the training and, and going through pro day and things like that. And I think after the way that that game went down, I just had that kind of fire in me and um, it just left a nasty taste where I was like much more motivated afterwards to go out and try to continue to play football. But um, I mean, yeah, that was a tough loss. We shouldn't have lost that game. They, they weren't a good team either. It was, uh, yeah, we should have beat them by 21 points. Just get out of bounds, Jordan. Just get out of bounds. But <laughs> Sorry. I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember all the specific details because there's been. I mean, I've been part of so many games where it's like this could have gone the other way, or that could have. You know, this happened. It never comes down to just one play. Like one play can have a right. significant outcome, but there were there were a lot of instances where the offense stalled, and it was just it was a weird day in general. But thank you so much for doing this, man. Like this was such a blast to to chat and hopefully you can come on again in the future. Cause I actually have more. I want to talk to you about like about what you've been doing post football, but I know you're a busy guy, so I won't take up too much of your time. Um, the last thing I just want to ask you here was the Fresno state game. Was that the, the best game of your career? The three touchdown night? Oh, my senior year. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, again, like coach Bobo gave me every opportunity in that game. Like I remember he said at halftime, Cause I don't know, we might've been losing at halftime. You were, now, yeah. But, um, you and Izzy but, had massive games that night. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Izzy got in there and ran the clock out for us once we were up, but, um, like coach Boba, I remember at halftime, he said like, everyone sees how Joe Hansy is competing. Like what is everyone else doing? Like, you know, he was willing to, to get more on a personal level and, um, always appreciated him for kind of having my back. But yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun one to be a part of. And, um, you know, kind of a cool experience to, I think that was the last game of my senior year outside of the bowl. I think so. Um, yeah. Cause I think that like you guys won four straight to secure bowl eligibility. Like, I think it started with the dominant win up in Wyoming where you guys just kind of really controlled it from start to finish. Like they had Brian Hill and, and he didn't do anything in that game. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a fun one. It was a good one to be a part of.
like I said, man, thank you so much for doing this. You know, you had a phenomenal career. You were one of my favorites to watch and I'm not just pandering. I genuinely do mean that. Thank you for coming on. I'm a big fan of DNVR too. I work with, uh, with a couple guys who do some graphic design and some other production stuff. One of my business partners is, uh, Paul Sorbo, his younger brother, Kale Sorbo. Kale, yeah. Uh, DNVR. I work with Blaze Hunter. Um, he actually owns part of a company that I own and, um, same with Eric Weedman. So have some connections to DNVR. I've been in the bar and whatnot. So next time you're down here in Denver, hit me, or actually I'm not in Denver anymore. Next time uh, you're in Denver, I'll hit you. I'm going to get used to that. I'm going to have to hit you up. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a blast, man. Thank you. Like, f- thank you for doing this. And, um, just real quick, tell the people about your company so they can go check it out online. Yeah. So actually I started two different companies. Um, when I got released from Oakland, I, uh, I patented a nutritional drink solution. Um, so we're going out and scaling this powder delivery system. It's a just add water packaging for proteins, pre-workouts, hydration formulas, greens, different things like that. Um, having a ton of success in China, pushing a lot of volume with a, uh, with a, with a worldwide brand over there and, and keep working on, uh, on transitioning over here to the States. So we're, we're B2B. I don't necessarily have a consumer brand that I'm, um, that I'm pushing, but, um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the supplement space, manufacturing and, and producing products. So things are going good so far. Awesome to hear it, man. Big things coming indeed. Joe, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves We are just some drops of water, together make up seven seas And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be